chicanos de East LA, ay arriba y arriba. Ay arriba y arriba y arriba iré, yo no creo en fronteras. Yo no creo en fronteras, yo cruzaré, yo cruzaré, yo cruzaré.
Okay, that was the Bama Rebelde. Uh, the Bama Rebelde from Las Cafeteras, a band from uh, San Fernando Valley. A bunch of people who met at Cal State Northridge and decided to have a band. Some of them had musical experience and some did not. Here's Aretha Franklin with uh, something for our president. Still can't get over Aretha. Here we go. Aretha Franklin.
Aretha to our president. You lied. Not once, but many, 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 many times. And you consider, continue doing it. You lied. Okay. Aretha Franklin, of course, who we still miss, who we're always going to miss. Here's one for Sylvia. With glancing starry beams Such a face as drifts through dreams This is Sylvia to the sight And the touch of Sylvia's hand Is as light as milk we down When the meads are golden brown And the autumn Sylvia, <clears throat> hope you're feeling better today, Sylvia. This is the Labor and Love Show. Welcome. We're coming at you from 2781 21st Street, a.k.a. Mutiny Radio, formerly Mutiny Radio Cafe, a real community center for the arts, for comedy, for radio, for video, or art installations, Mutiny Radio, come on in and make a difference. Get your own show. This show is Labor and Love Radio, the show where we tell you how it is, working people. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. The show where we tell you that you better have a seat at the negotiating table where you work or else you're going to be on the menu. Maybe you already are. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart 
who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. So this is the Labor and Love Show. What do we got for you today? Let's just go. We got our radio labor people are back from their union holiday. Solidarity with Trinidad. Teachers all over the country organizing, preparing for strikes. Who wants to join a union anyway? Just 58 million people. And education now. Student loan debt now is more than credit card debt. What does that mean? What does that mean for this generation of students? We'll take a look at that from Democracy Now. Vladimir Putin faced a backlash when he tried to change pensions for Russia's working people. And can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. A really American. So, let's see what else we got. How far will the strike wave go in Washington? Kaepernick. Now, Nike has done what a lot of people think was a real bold thing. We'll talk about that, the Colin Kaepernick commercial and the labor question. Even though the statistics are good and Trump is out there crowing about what he's done for the nation, the real picture is much darker. Which states will teachers strike in next? How Milwaukee teachers beat back cuts and busy work, but more important on this On this day, race and labor, the elephant in the room. And celebrating celebrating Chicano history today with Yosoy Joaquin, the great epic poem of the Chicano people. As you know, September 16th is Independence Day. September 16th, 17th, 15th are independence days of countries all over the the Americas. Mexico is September the 16th. So we're going to talk, last week we talked about the Chicano Moratorium. Today we'll listen to Yo Soy Joaquin. Okay, let's see what we got here. Start out. Trinidad solidarity strikes. And I preface this with you're only alone when you don't stand up. Workers' rights worldwide solidarity strikes in Trinidad and Tobago. 
and September 7th shutdown in Trinidad and Tobago. On September 7th, there were no nurses in the hospitals, no maxi and taxi drivers on the roads, and no teachers in the schools as the joint trade union movement has called on the workforce to engage in a day of rest and reflection. The various unions representing nurses, teachers, drivers, farmers, communication workers, and several others this morning directed their membership to stay away from work next Friday. So that was yesterday. We'll take a look and see how they how that turned out. Various union leaders said they stood in solidarity with the oil workers who have lost their jobs based on the government's decision to cut down to shut down the Petrotrine Point of Pierre refinery. The unions warned the government to rethink a decision or risk starting a war with labor. All right, so let's see what happened with that. Trinidad and Tobago. All right. And of course, here, let's play some Ali Akbar Khan. Okay, Trinidad and Tobago, a general strike was called yesterday. Um, according to Caribbean Life, a little over a week after authorities in Trinidad announced the closure of an underutilized and money-losing oil refinery. Major labor unions have called a general strike for Friday. Now, here's the point. When something isn't making money for some capitalist, it gets shut down, even if that means thousands of jobs. 2,000 staffers are set to lose their jobs. We'll keep an eye on that, see how that comes out. How far will the strike wave go in Washington? As the new school year began this fall, last spring's revolt of educators has erupted in Washington state. Walkouts began in the southwestern corner of the state and started to spread north, reaching Tacoma, the state's third largest city, late this week. Meanwhile, teachers in the biggest district, Seattle, are voting this weekend on a tentative agreement with a lower wage increase than any other association has settled for so far. 
Teachers vote no to use their leverage to fight for more. That could lead to a second strike in Seattle in three years. At the end of August, an unprecedented seven different locals of the Washington Education Association were on strike at the same time, with six of them located in Clark County just across the state's border from Portland, Oregon. Four of those strikes ended with new contracts being ratified. But several new districts in southern Washington started strikes in the first few days of September. And we've commented on this before. When you hear the word austerity, often, almost all the time, what it means is pay cuts for teachers or flat salaries year after year after year for teachers take-backs of benefits and lawmakers have assumed yeah we'll do we can do this we can balance our budget we can look really good by taking money out of education or by not keeping education funding up to where it should be because the teachers will get by some way teachers will spend their own money so they balance the budget on the backs of teachers. The impetus for the strikes is the state legislature finally being forced by the McCleary court decision to pump $2 billion into the state's public schools solely for educators' salaries. Two families sued Washington State over inadequate school funding in 2007 and won their case to fully fund K-12 public schools. Finally, in 2017, the state legislature increased funding for the 2018-19 school year by $1 billion. So now they're negotiating those wages. Unfortunately, though, many district administrations around the state, especially those in southwestern Washington, want to hoard the funds, either for bloated administrator salaries, other general education funding needs, or to put towards reserve funds for future, future crises. So again... They're doing it on the backs of teachers. Which states will teachers strike in next? As the new school year begins, teachers in California, Colorado, and Illinois, among other states, are determined to continue the fight for better pay and school funding. Portside article, dated September 7th. Last spring, a wave of teacher strikes across the United States helped spur mass support for educators and wage raises. After decades of cuts and demonization by both Republicans and Democrats alike, no wonder they don't like teacher unions. If it weren't for the unions, they should just keep taking money out of education. 
and then complaining how poorly the public schools are doing. One major union is asking its member to strike this fall, its members to strike this fall, the 34,000 members of UTLA, United Teachers of Los Angeles. On August 30th, 98% of the teachers voted to authorize a strike at the nation's second largest school district. While the strike in the spring focused on Republican states, a strike in Los Angeles would be the first to target Democrats, who have also promoted schemes to bust teachers' unions and open non-union charter schools that divert funding away from unionized public schools. California is a democratic state, yet we have the highest number of unregulated charter schools in the nation. And we are 43rd in the nation in terms of per-pupil spending when we are the fifth largest economy in the world, said UTLA bargaining chair Arlene Inouye. Okay. That's teachers in L.A. Might see a strike there. Oh, as far as today... Be part of history, the flyer says. Saturday, September 8th, Embarcadero Plaza, San Francisco. Rise for climate jobs, justice for your family, job, community, and the future. Join the labor contingent. Assemble at 9.30 on Stewart, just below Market Street. Pre-March labor rally at 10 a.m. Live to Civic Center, 11 a.m. So you can listen to Labor and Love Radio on your device while you march. Think of it. Labor and Love Radio says, get the hell out there and get to work. That's your work for today, to get out and hit the street and be protesting. Ah, we're all about peace today. Okay. Waist deep in the big muddy. Background music today is by Ali Akbar Khan from an album called Journey.
Janeiro, nigga. <laughs> Cape Town, South Africa. I never make songs to disrespect women or to judge people about the way that they living. But the way I am is based on the life I was given. Like them white boys losing my religion. I used to be a Christian and a political pawn. The Bible is right and all your native culture is wrong. Next thing you know, you telling me about making a song. Come in the studio and tell me that I'm making it wrong. Pissed off because reality is making it strong. Like the ghost of Timothy McVeigh making a bomb. Hey yo, Marvin Gaye. What the fuck is going on? These rap niggas made propaganda out of your song But it's the gong show, amateur night at the Apollo My dick is like my music but harder to swallow So children follow me like the Pied Piper And sing the chorus in the air with your blood and your lighter Sing that shit nigga, right now You played yourself thinking you down with me I end your life nigga, don't fuck around with me And if you kids can't listen then you bound to see The way you get shot for crossing a boundary You played yourself thinking that you down with me I end your life nigga, don't fuck around with me And if you kids can't listen then you bound to see The way you get shot for crossing a boundary Yeah Second verse is worse than the first in this respect Scripted specifically to keep people in check Harlem to Boston, real niggas spit with me But land speed, you ain't fucking shit to me And underground labels know that I don't trust you You only independent till you major, so fuck you And if you're pissed off cause you think that I dissed you I'll rape your mom so we can make this a personal issue Dance with the devil, remember that you're not on my level Stupid, you're not ready nope. I wouldn't decipher, bragging rights and rock steady and Practically every battle that they got in New York And I still murder rappers on the street for sport Dr. Guillotine cutting you short, little man But you don't give me props Cause I never wanted scribble jam what? Well fuck you I hope someone you love dies So fuck your crew And fuck your family too ah. Technique said it, bitch What the fuck you gonna do? Yourself, thinking you down with me I end your life, nigga, don't fuck around with me And if you kids can't listen and you bound to see The way you get shot for crossing the boundary You played yourself, thinking that you down with me I end your life, nigga, don't fuck around with me And if you kids can't listen and you bound to see The way you get shot for crossing the boundary Yeah Wrap it up on these niggas, man, wrap it up Immortal technique, incinerate degenerate fags Burn Trent Lott, wrapped in his confederate flag I got the Beretta, with my face wrapped in a rag So put the African slave jewelry in the bag Motherfuckers tell me that a diamond is forever But is it worth the blood of Malcolm and Mega Evers? House niggas, get your head severed, tryna be thug You don't concern me, I'm tryna hurt the people you love Word of mouth is, I'm in the club being sneaky I'm like the body snatchers and your girl is getting sleepy I murder you indiscreetly Right at the source Like the Roman legionnaire that stabbed Christ on the cross This is about judo, it ain't about Jesus And you shouldn't fucking talk about telekinesis Nigga, please, moving shit with your mind Try moving your moms out the projects with your rhymes And next time, I'm coming after cualquiera Profanity, fuck it, carajo, maldita mierda Roll up the yerba y pasala para la izquierda Put the price up to listen to me pop shit Cause I got Martha Stewart Giving me stock tips, underground money with honeys up in the whip. Bangbust.com, nigga, fucking your bitch. <laughs> yeah, played yourself, nigga.
fuck all y'all. You don't know shit about me. Don't ever open your mouth and discuss who the fuck I am. I thought I told y'all niggas on volume one, I wasn't fucking around. You just slept, cause you sold a few thousand units in the golden era when niggas would buy anything on the shelf. Those days are through, and you're through with them. Protection. A man who shot John Lennon had a hero worshippers connection. 
The moral of this song is that the world is in a horrible place. Scientific industry devours the human race. Police in every country are moved to your gas and TV. Secret masters everywhere bureaucratize for you and me. Terrorists and police together build a lower class rage. Propaganda, murder, manipulate the upper class stage. If you're feeling confused, the government's in there for sure. Aware, aware, wherever you are, no fear. Trust your heart, don't ride your paranoia, dear. Breathe together with an ordinary mind. Our humor, even help enlighten.
Okay, Beastie Boys there. <clears throat> you got to fight for your right to party. That's what they're talking about. Before that, we had uh, another rapper. Allen Ginsberg, with his Capital Air, played with, I think, the Tom Petty Band. I'm not sure. Um, well, that was with... Ginsberg did several... Uh, I guess what you call spoken word or pseudo-rap. Um, and before that, Immortal Technique, laying it down about industrial revolution. Okay, I want to move right now to the Young Workers segment of this show. Um, it's fine for me to sit here and play music from all different eras and talk about the labor movement and what people should or should not do and what people should or should not be involved in. But uh, what are young people really talking about and thinking about? Now we're coming up on the anniversary of uh, 9-11, the day when uh, a lot of things changed here in the U.S. And there are a lot of theories. Hardly anyone believes the government, the government story about what happened. And these are sometimes called conspiracy theories, which is, in my opinion, a way to uh, make them sound less important, make them sound crazy. But we have... Um, my daughter, actually, Vita Castaneda Morgan, talking about conspiracy theories. And she's compiled a report about them. Hello, Vita. Hi, good morning. Very good. Um, good morning to you, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, I've asked you to come in and talk today about things that young people are thinking about and talking about. And one of them is certainly conspiracy theories. People just don't believe what the government tells us, right? Yeah. I think conspiracy theories are also important to this show because they're what, like you said, the common people are talking about. They're not the official version or what has been agreed upon to say what happened. It's what people are consistently, even over time, even after years and years and years, new people come up and still have the same questions that people had when the event first happened. So it just goes to show that it doesn't die down ever, and it's actually getting bigger because more and more people have access to information, 
and they don't believe what the official version says. We just had an uh, an example of that. Allen Ginsberg singing about the CIA killed John Kennedy. Oh wow! Yeah. So tell us a little about about conspiracy theories and uh, what kind of evidence there is to back them up. Well, in the United States, there's been a long history of conspiracy theories. And even since the early 1900s, people have been thinking about these conspiracy theories as they see the nation change and things uh, basically take a turn that they didn't expect. And one of the first conspiracy theories as part of Americana (laughs) is the Jekyll Island in 1910. So in 1910, six very rich businessmen made their way to Jekyll Island to have a retreat and talk about the nation's banking system. And I've, I've read about that meeting. Yeah, so it was Nelson Aldrich, A. Piot Andrew, Henry Davidson, Arthur Shelton, Frank Vanderlip, and Paul Warburg. And they there they basically made the rubric and the idea and the intent for the Federal Reserve that would come three years later and is a huge conspiracy theory or something that people don't really understand. And even as time is going by, you know, like all the all the economic downturns and all this, it's proven that it doesn't work for people. It doesn't work how the Federal Reserve operates. And so it's working for a smaller group of people. Yeah. Um, the Federal Reserve is a private entity. Most people assume it's a government entity, but it is a private entity that has immense power over things like the price of money and the money supply and just uh, U.S. uh, internal and external foreign policy. Right. So the Federal Reserve and Jekyll Island are two big early conspiracy theories that started. And then over time, in 1933, there was a general named Smedley Butler. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have, but not very many people have heard of him at all. What a wonderful guy. He wrote a book called War is a Racket in 1935, and he was the Marine Corps Major General, which at that time was the highest ranking. And he was heavily involved in leading and part of the banana wars that the U.S. provoked in the Caribbean and Latin America. And he basically testified under oath to a congressional committee that a group of wealthy elites were planning a military coup against FDR, and a final report by the House of Representative Committee proved that he was actually telling the truth. They did more investigation. So he said that it was basically going to be like a fascist takeover, that he had been approached by these wealthy elites, and they had said that if he helps them, leads them, there could be a military coup in the United States, and then he could be in charge, basically. Right. They offered him basically the leadership of the country. Yeah. So he totally like went the opposite way and ended up telling everybody about it. And that's another, I guess, proof that there are conspiracies and that there are 
these secret meetings or dealings between the elites to try to control the larger mass of people and to try to basically seize control at any point. A lot of people believe capitalism itself is a conspiracy against working people. Yeah, well, over time, like, even when I was reviewing these conspiracy theories right now to talk to you about them, I was realizing, and I mean, these similarities have been made or seen before that. The fact is money is always behind it. Like, there's always really rich people behind these conspiracy theories who have a lot to gain or lose from the situation. So he, I mean, people, when studying conspiracy theories or these stories or events now, people look back to that instance in 1933 where this general, this really high-ranking general, like, came out and basically said, yeah, something's going on and everyone needs to know about it. So that's a good precedence. And then... Of course, after World War II came Dwight Eisenhower when he said there was a military-industrial complex and that we needed to start watching out. Um, Part of these conspiracy theories are analyzing and intaking that fact about the economy, too, that a lot of these wars or situations, like we said before, there's always money. And it's now it's the military-industrial complex that's sort of taken over by a brute force. So then after Eisenhower, JFK made a speech years later about secret forces and conspiracies working within our government, elite, like whatever. Have you heard about this speech? I have not. That's crazy. Well, it's a really good speech. You should listen to it sometime. And he basically illustrates that there's like a secret cabal that is up to no good and that he wants to be against it and he even said before he was assassinated that he wanted to like split the CIA up into little pieces because he felt like what they were doing was messed up and he also wanted to get rid of the Federal Reserve so it was two things that he was standing in the way of the people who were in power also a third Kennedy had seriously begun to question U.S. involvement in Vietnam and oh. to actively look for ways to get out. Not that he had decided to get out. But yeah. He was exploring. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't sit well with the powers that be. <laughs> so then what ended up happening was that LBJ, it had to happen on Texas territory, his assassination, because that's where Bush is from. George H.W. Bush and LBJ. And when George H.W. Bush was asked, where were you like the day Kennedy was killed? He never is able to answer it. I couldn't remember. He always says, yeah, oh, I don't remember. I don't know. When it's like, if something serious happens, people usually remember exactly where they're at. Everybody remembers exactly where they're at and they talk about it to each other endlessly. Yeah, it's just a natural human thing, but somehow he lacks that quality. So um, it happened when he was there. And wasn't he head of the CIA or something? Bush at, at some one time point? was. Yeah, head of the so. CIA. People have said that he was part of it, and of course LBJ was from Texas too. So a lot of the local police department, like when things went down, it was easy for the conspirators to sort of get away because they had planned it all in advance that 
Kennedy would be so vulnerable and, like, left, you know? Yeah. Okay. So then... Uh, then came the Iran-Contra affair. The U.S. government was deeply involved in international illicit affairs, and it came out to everybody. So this is another conspiracy theory that everyone was talking about, and it's been proven true. So basically all these conspiracy theories, as they keep going, just prove that there are secret things that the government's doing, and something's going on, and um, we get little peeps, and uh, we see a little bit of it as time goes by, but when we see a little bit, we realize there's probably a lot more going on that we don't know. Absolutely. That's another one Bush forgot when they asked him about a crucial meeting around Iran-Contra. He couldn't remember. That's great. And Reagan couldn't remember. Yeah, and now there's even more, you know, like around this whole presidential election, there was Pizzagate and all these things coming out about pedophilia within the government and the same I feel like a comparison can sort of be made from what I've studied to the Catholic Church and how they sort of institutionalized pedophilia they institutionalized and like protected each other from the repercussions that would come with that and I think that the same thing happens within the US government but on a more criminal level well <coughs> great I have stone journalist had a two-word summation for it all politicians lie yeah that's what he said two words okay well thank you very much you want to finish up do you have any no that's it okay thank you very thank much you. Um, it's really important to be aware of what people are thinking, and you get into your own ideas really, really easily, you know, to the detriment of all the others. So, what we're going to do now is play a uh, a set, and then we've got a financial expert here today, and we're going to ask him some questions about Bitcoin. What the hell is Bitcoin? How can it be that you can invent a new currency? But they have. So let's hear what we got. This is uh, our set. Pardon me. Let's put on Ali Akbar Khan. This is from an album called Journeys. Thanks.
Okay, that was uh, Ali Akbar Khan, a selection from an album of his called Journeys. And uh, let's see what we got in our peace file today. I wanted to play some peace songs because the U.S. government insists on going around and disturbing people, causing problems, wars, getting involved in wars, for example, in uh, Yemen, um, sticking its nose in, like in Syria, um, encouraging, you know, forays like we, we were talking about, encouraging things like the the, uh, what what are called conspiracy theories. It's movement time. Your history books got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, con el gran grito de pasión, se levantaron con razón. Black and brown fighting together on a day I'll always remember. En el 5 de mayo, con el grito de gallo, black, white, and brown bleeding together on a day I'll always remember. Because really, it hasn't been that long, so just in case Cat Williams had you guessing, let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson. In the 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy, Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, which led black folks to freedom with Mexico right there to receive them. Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools, pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods, traviesos, Pachucos, folkloristas, punks, bomberas, jaraneras in the heat, jaraneras with the bomb as beat, talking about what's really going on in the streets. In the 60s, in the streets of Oakland, California, Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for native rights with no shame in their game. Brown berets in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the Campos of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak. One rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell, with my mentor Mumia up in the cell, telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day where my people are hunt down like prey. My 
My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see. It's not about me, never was, never will be. It's about we. It's time to move, y'all. My people. It's movement time. Ladies and gentlemen, what do people do to feel good about themselves in this crazy capitalist world? A lot of them are taking drugs. Most deadly. Killers in the country James today. Brown. I had a dream the other night and I was sitting in my living room. Just dozed off to sleep, so I started dreaming. I dream I walked in a place and I saw a real strange, weird object standing up talking to the people. And I found out it was heroin. That deadly drug that go in your vein. He said, I came to this country without a passport. Ever since then, I've been hunted and sought. My little white grains are nothing but waste, soft and deadly and bitter to taste. But I'm a world of power, and all know it's true. Use me once, and you'll know it too. I can make a mere schoolboy forget his books. I can make a world-famous beauty neglect her looks. I can make a good man forsake his wife, send a greedy man to prison for the rest of his life. I can make a man forsake his country and flag, make a girl sell her body for a five-dollar bag. Some think my adventures are joy and a thriller, but I'll put a gun in your hand and make you a killer. In cellophane bags, I found my way to heads of state, to children at play. I finance in China, ran in Japan. I'm respected in Turkey, and I'm legal in Siam. I take my addicts and make them steal, borrow, beg. Then they search for a van and the arm of the leg. So be you Italian, Jewish, black, or mixed. I can make the most fertile of men forget their sex. So now, so now, my man, you must. Do your best to keep up your habit until your arrest. Now the police have taken you from under my wing. Do you think they dare defy me? I who am king. Now you must lie in that county jail where I can't get to you by visit or mail. So squirm with discomfort, wiggle and cough. <laughs> Six days of madness, <laughs> and you might throw me off. Curse me in name, defy me in speech, but you'd pick me up right now if I were in your reach. All through your center, you become resolved to your fate. Fear not, young man or woman, I'll be waiting at the gate. And don't be afraid, don't run, I'll not chase. Sure, my name is Helwin, and you'll be back for a taste. Behold, you're hooked. Your foot is in the stirrup, and make haste, mount the steed, and ride him well. For the white horse of heroin will ride you to hell. To hell will ride you to hell until you are dead. Brother, dead. This is a 
revolution of mind. Get your mind together and get away from drugs. That's the man. Scary one there, James Brown, King Heroin. Before that, we had Las Cafeteras. It's movement time, y'all. Like I said, get downtown today for the big climate change labor rally in March. And before that, Ali Akbar Khan, as I mentioned, from his album, Journeys. Okay, now I, for one, have been wondering, all this talk about Bitcoin, I, for one, have been wondering what it is, and I consider myself somewhat sophisticated about economics. I've taken time to read some economics and different economic theories, people like uh, Richard Wolff. But this idea of Bitcoin, I'm really wondering what it is. So I've invited a financial guy and Yemen is here today to talk about Bitcoin and other, what would you call them, Yemen? Digital currencies. Digital currencies. Good okay. morning to everyone. Okay, there you go. You're on mic three. Very good. So, okay, let's just start out with the very basics, the ABCs of Bitcoin. So. What is it? It is, it's a cryptocurrency, which means it's a currency that's uh, uh, contained within an encrypted uh, lines of code. And um, it's basically a digital currency. It's a new form of currency that's coming out, I guess, as a result of the, the electronical tech internet age. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a form of electronic cash. It's decentralized. So that means that there's no middleman involved. That means the computers are running the show. And when computers are running the show, God knows that you can crunch an infinite amount of numbers. And that's where the encryption comes from. It has something called a 256-bit encryption. Um, uh, basically on its blockchain, which is what it's built on. So I guess in order to, to explain how this currency operates, what makes it so valuable, I guess it was... Uh, it came out in about 2008 by this guy called Satoshi Nakamoto, who is um, a, what is it, what do they call him, a pseudonym? Like, nobody knows about him, nobody knows where he is, nobody knows what became of him. All they know is that there was one million Bitcoin in his name, and he disappeared. So there's a little shadiness um, when it comes to that, but you know what, that could just be the story they want to tell us in order to introduce us to this new phenomenon of digital currency. Now, Bitcoin, what makes the, uh, really what it is, is a reaction to the 2008 economic crisis. Now, people don't want to deal with banks anymore. So what makes, what gives Bitcoin its value is the blockchain. And what the blockchain is, is it's pretty much a trustless, decentralized ledger. So imagine there's a tab, right? Someone's keeping tabs. You lose that tab, someone steals that tab, puts in edits plus seven here, minus whatever, you know what I mean? And you know, the banks have the tab all the time. They have the ledger. What this does is it kind of outsources tracking that ledger, adding to that ledger, um, um, keeping track of that ledger to the world and to the computers. So everybody has a, cop a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain ledger. That means it can never be changed. 
out from outside sources. That means if you pay, for example, if I, if I pay you, I can't get my money back and click a button and be like, oh, no, oops, <laughs> you know, and get my money back. It's just it's on the ledger. You can send it back to me, uh, but we can't edit it. So that gives it its, it's sort of um, value in the sense that there's no middleman involved. There's no bank, and it's encrypted, so you can't hack it. Um, anybody, and I like to say that it's, it's like basically it's value is it's virtual numbers getting tracked and it, and it gets its utility from the fact that you can't destruct it. You can't burn it. The banks can't take it away from you. You can only lose it if you, you know, and this is, you know, kind of the part that's, that's not attractive about it. But if you get hacked or if somebody steals your laptop and you have no passwords and stuff like that, and they get into your email they and they get into where you store it, your digital wallet was what they call it. And I can get into that later. Then they can take your money. But, um, if you know what you're doing, that's not going to happen to you. Um, and what, what gives you, what also gives you its value. So I'd like to, you know, let me just open up a chart of the value of Bitcoin. Cause a lot of people question, how can something that has no material, has no material value all of a sudden have value. And there is, there is a speculative market though in Bitcoin. You can buy and sell them. Uh, yes, there are markets in Bitcoin. You now you can buy them and sell them a lot easier. Back in the day, you'd buy and sell using pieces of paper. You'd write down the code and you'd be like, this is now yours. You have it, you know, and you uh, you can just shuffle them between each other. And now they actually have online exchanges. You know how you have the stock market, people yelling on the phones back in the day. Now it's all online and it's quiet and everything is <laughs> everything is going on on your screen. Um, you know, I'm sure the yelling is happening behind everybody else's screens. But right, right. nevertheless, you can just go online just like TD Ameritrade. You can buy, sell stocks online. Um you have coinbase.com you have gemini.com um and a few others that are coming out now that do immediate usd to bitcoin um uh you you can buy immediately uh bitcoin from those platforms they've made it difficult for for americans and you know to to buy it but finally they've given us an exchange that we can rely on it's, it's coinbase and you can get in there and well for the most part you can rely on it um, as a beginner and you can get in there and you can buy your bitcoins um, and you can you know store them they call it hodl hold on for dear life just wait a couple years until the phenomenon picks up the speculation picks up you know because essentially cash is fake right money's being printed um, on your recent segment you know the federal reserve money's being printed left right and center so you know we can put that aside right now as far as uh, the value of bitcoin because the value of cash is is really nothing so we can see where Bitcoin gets its value um, when it comes to the fact that no one could take it from you. You don't need a bank. And, you know, people around the world start sending it back and forth. So now what happened, and I guess what kind of gave it is a large val uh, value, is the fact that it's banking the unbanked. And if we have 7 billion people in the world, and let's say 2 billion people have banks, bank accounts, what about the other 5 billion people? How are they going to deal with any sort of money? So that's where Bitcoin comes in. Um, as long as you can maybe, you know, you can have Bitcoin, you can own it without anything. You can just have a piece of paper that tells you where your Bitcoins are. And as long as nobody sees that um, and they, they can't take it away from you. So it's banking the unbanked in the sense that you have an Internet connection or maybe even one time a week you have an Internet connection. You can maintain your digital wallet and you can have your money. And if someone wants money on the other side of the world, there's no there's no middleman there's no bank coming at all so you can imagine how the banks are really scared of this 
this idea because it's a currency for the world. Um, and I just like to show you guys who haven't you know really gone too much into it the seriousness of the matter because I'm not we're not just coming in here and talking about uh, something that's a fad. Um, its its value has risen significantly um, from was it 2009 I don't know if it was let me see I don't know yeah go ahead the value fluctuates right oh it fluctuates up and down yeah the value day by very, day. very much fluctuates in November let's see we're saying October 23rd 2010 it was at 11 cents that's 2010, right? And, and it was established in 2009, I guess, or 2008. So I guess it didn't really hit money exchanges until then. But imagine that, 11 cents, 2010. And we're moving up to 2000, end of 2011. It's, you know, it's about, you know, 10 bucks. And then you move into 2012 and you're getting, or 2013, you're getting into the 150s. And you 2014, 450. And then it goes down for a long, long time, which is where we're at right now, right? Because we've reached from 450 in, you know, 2014 to 20,000. Whoa. In December of 2017, and now we're back to 6,000. So what goes up must come down, right? So we've we've gone through a major correction, but it's safe to say that Bitcoin right now um, is at a stable cost of $6,400 per Bitcoin. Um, and it's the price fluctuation does go up and down and now is the part where it corrected and you can imagine if it started from 10 cents if it's at 6,400 it's a really bumpy ride but that's how much value has been derived from Bitcoin in the past 10 years because the unbanked want to become banked and people don't want to deal with these crooked banks you know what I mean? Mm, Wells Fargo let me ask you something now I've, I've heard that there's a limited number of Bitcoin and it keeps adding a little bit, and there's going to reach a limit yes. at some point. Now, 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 I think what what Satoshi or the guy who designed Bitcoin, and I think he also designed the blockchain, um, was that he made 21 million bitcoins so that um, sort of I think he started it so it can adjust with um, inflation or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, the way it works is that every certain amount of time, it gets. Um, harder and harder to create more Bitcoin. And yes, Bitcoins have to be created from processing power, from computer power, which means that, you know, the guy behind his desk, you know, has a, maybe in 2010, had a powerful computer. Um, and he, he wants to accumulate Bitcoin. Well, the good thing about Bitcoin is the way it's trustless, the way it's decentralized is like I was saying in the beginning is that you have a bunch of people not volunteering their computer power, but putting their computer power and saying, hey, we're going to do the mining, right? So what mining is essentially is it's verifying the transactions. Every time someone sends a transaction, we need the boys or the girls in the back to verify those transactions. And their reward, they're called the miners. Their reward for ah. putting up their processing power to do the hard math that it takes oh, okay. to keep the ledger going comes in Bitcoin. And so it gets harder and harder, and, and, and that's how Bitcoin is released, is by these miners. They, like gold is released into, you know, into, you know, whatever, into the stores. They mine, uh, they mine the, the Bitcoins, and every time they solve the transaction or all the, you know, they put the computing power to putting the, the next transaction on the block, they get a reward for it. And so the amount coming out decreases 
over time. And so by the time we reach the 21, uh, 21 million Bitcoin, and we're at like 17 million right now, which is a, a large part of it. By the time we reach 21 million Bitcoin, it should be about 100 years or so. I think, don't call me on it, but a long time. I see. Um, and and it's made to adjust with uh, that, um, I guess, inflation or the value of it. So it'll always, you know, it's always, its price is always going to go up because there's not going to be many of it. Um, so now the important aspect of Bitcoin, um, it's a digital currency. It's the first one. It's the main, it's the main one. The, the technology it's based on is called blockchain, which is the trustless decentralized ledger. Um, so basically, people have taken this this piece of technology, this piece of coding, and be like, "Wow, you're telling me that I don't need a man or a corporation to keep tabs? Okay, well, let me redesign a lot of the way my business and aspect goes, so that I delete those middlemen that you know they are open to human error and corruptibility, and you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong." So. I'd like to next talk about the industries that have been revolutionized. Some of the industries that have been revolutionized by the blockchain um, and the, the industries that are getting reshaped um, and that all everybody that all the industries that are transferring all their ledgers to the blockchain. Um, so you have the banking system. Obviously, these, these cryptocurrencies are coming out replacing the banking system because they don't need infrastructure. They just need they just need a powerful protocol. Um, and you have the supply ch supply chain industry. You can keep tabs on all sorts of, of, of products coming in and out. And like pharmaceutical products, that's a huge thing, you know. Um, retail bags, you know what I mean? Like 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 Coach, Purse, those, those fake knockout ones. You can keep a tab on whether they are knockout and know as a consumer that the product that you bought is original because they keep tabs on it and they put that tab on the ledger now i kind of jumped into something that may confuse people as to how can you keep tabs or or use the supply chain uh, with that um since bitcoin came out other cryptocurrencies came out and form follows function right so now that you can create this distributed uh, this, um, decentralized ledger and put numbers on it people want to put contracts on it you know what i mean they want to be able to throw a contract into the air and make the computers hold it you know, to um, to power, you know what I mean? Make it work. So, for example, uh, now Ethereum comes out, and that's a type of cryptocurrency, and Ethereum makes it so that you can add a smart contract to the ledger. That means, let's say, you're, Bill, you're the landlord. I'm a tenant, right? I don't, I'm going to live here for five years. I don't want to have to deal with you. You don't want to have to deal with me. So, we make, there's, let's say, there's, there's cryptocurrencies right now called, uh, there's one called Proppy. It's from San Francisco. It's about, it's real estate where all this stuff is on the ledger. So your rent, which has to be a certain amount, my rent, which has to be a certain amount, my deposit, all that stuff is in a document that's, 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 that's programmed and sent into as, as a, basically as it's a template that has to be filled. And for now I have to pay you the money every, every month. You know, and it'll hold me accountable, not you. What will happen if you don't? Uh, if if I don't, the smart What'll contract is breached, um, and the the contract is legally terminated. Every because it's 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 pretty much doing the work for you. Um, what happens if you don't? Then that's it. Then um, it'll resort to the automatic whatever you set it to, or whatever. In this case, for example, Proppy, which is a a company, blockchain based cryptocurrency company that deals with real estate. Um, 
so it, it does all that for you. And another thing it does is voting. So now, given all that's been going on with, uh, you know, way back in the day from Florida and Bush and now this with Trump and the Russians, with blockchain, you're not going to have people changing people's votes. You're not going to have people going in there or people stopping anybody uh, from voting or anything like that because it's all on, it's all decentralized. It's all on the cloud. It's all on a computer. The computers, the computers are basically, and uh, you know, forgive my, I'm, I don't mean it that way, but they're the gods in this case, and they're the ones that determine. And as long as they're programmed to tell the truth, um, which in the case of blockchain they have no choice but to uh, be completely transparent. Um, then that's all that can really that's all that can really do. Your vote would be part of the blockchain. It couldn't be changed or altered. Never, never changed or altered. You have to remove the whole blockchain in order to remove it. You have to destroy the whole system that you put in place in order to remove that one vote. So you can't really, you know, there's no going around it except if you physically bar, which is what they do sometimes. You physically bar people from putting their ballots in, their you know, their votes in. Um, another huge industry that it, you know that it's getting into is publishing. Right, whether it's music, entertainment, or books, I know you want to write, or you're you want to get published. Um, and I told you uh, recently about Publica, and it's decentralized publishing. Basically, it deletes the middleman, so it makes it so that you get your royalties, you get everything on like, and it's all on the blockchain. It's all, it's all, all the tabs are there. Everything is taken care of, and you don't have to deal with no person, you know, taking commission off your stuff. You can just register with them and they take a, a large a very very small amount compared to like like a percentage a very small percentage of your work compared to the 30 40 50 percent that publishers want so that's another thing it's really it's making it you know and it's making a lot of crooks you know have to come clean or, or or get out of the business that they're in the con you know so another thing also that's really taking you know gathering wind is uh energy so decentralized energy distribution so let's say something that's going to come up and it's an industry in the block like created out of blockchain it's a digital currency to give or take energy so let's say you have neighbors right and um you have your solar powers you have too much energy and you know you can sell it now you can sell it to your neighbors and you can sell it with this digital currency there's one called power ledger there's a cryptocurrency called power ledger which which kind of is based off of that and um, instead of dealing with PG&E and all these companies, you're now creating your own energy and using this digital currency, you can buy and sell it um, to your neighbors. And um, that's, that's, yeah, that's one way where it's revolutionizing industry. And like I said, um, I want to go back to the smart contracts. So Ethereum is like the next thing after Bitcoin, sort of. And um, it gives you the ability to create a smart contract in the transaction. So... That's how these, like, for, for example, these pharmaceuticals that are being tracked, right? You can, you can enter, you can customize them so that their temperature can be tracked, right? Because if, if, if your pills or your meat or whatever are going through the, the bottom of an airplane or wherever it's really hot, they might lose potency, right? So Ethereum, for example, or these, these sort of uh, smart contract uh, blockchain digital currencies, they allow you... They allow the corporations to keep track of every last product in the ways they want to, like temperature, like humidity, uh, like how long since it's been produced. All these things are going to be uh, digitized right now. And it's even going to come to a point where these products will interact with each other to give each other information about themselves. Um, so that makes it to so that you avoid um, bad medicine 
uh, bad products, you know, meat that has been heated and then cold and then heated and then cold on the time of this trip, it takes all that away because the the company is not going to buy the meat if the meat has been fluctuating, right? So all those things happen without a central authority. They're just like the norm now. It's like the computers are taking over what's right and wrong. Um, they're taking over the tab. You can't you can't come in there and tell the computer to change it so that you can crunch some numbers in and you know get a bigger paycheck. You can't do that. It's all decentralized, and it's banking the unbanked, and uh, the banks are afraid of it. And I wouldn't be too far um, from. I I don't I know it's not too far from the whole currency is not too far from being hijacked by someone like the Federal Reserve, right? Because it's so easy to have people to latch onto a phenomenon and then make them believe that it's their own, right? So to end, that's that's the suspicion that I, I have um, to bring it back to conspiracy theories. That's the little suspicion I have is that although this does do very great things um, and it will retain value and it is, I believe, right now, it's a, I believe, and I'm not professional, um, don't take this as professional financial advice. This is a disclaimer to everyone. I believe that it is um, a good investment at the price that it's at right now. And um, it does have, you know, more morale behind it, morality. But um, in the long run, in the long run, it makes sense we're moving to a cashless society, right? So I guess this is just where it's all moving to. And who knows, this may still be, um, you know, Federal Reserve money. It may still be the same, you know. They might figure out a way to control this. Some people already believe that it, it has been controlled, but there's so many cryptocurrencies now for the listeners. There's about 2,000 cryptocurrencies right now that all do different things, and most of them are garbage. 10% of them have real value. So I encourage the listeners, um, if you're wondering what this is all about, just, you know, Google a few of them like if, if you top cryptocurrencies see what they do and that'll be sort of a quick way for you to go in figure out what this whole thing is about you know um and i'm sorry if i confused any of you this is a new emerging topic not at all thank you so much for bringing your expertise and explaining it in you know regular language yeah no worries i just like to add one more thing um it, it, bitcoin can be divisible by one millionth of a bitcoin which brings it down to a hundredth of a cent which also gives it a large use case value in inter internationally because not everything falls dollars. So it can be broken down to very small pieces, which makes it useful for third world countries. But yeah, um, I'd love to come back and talk about it more sometime. Well, I thank wish you, you would. Thank you for having me, Bill. You're quite welcome. Thanks for coming. Okay, the skinny on Bitcoin. The skinny on Bitcoin. You know, who would have thunk it? Um... As Yemen said, uh, Google it. Start, start uh, exploring the idea. You know, don't just be satisfied with someone telling you what it is. Check it out for yourself. All right, I want to get on to Colin Kaepernick. Okay, so we'll come when I come back. We'll be. Talking about Colin Kaepernick and the new Nike ad.
All right, we're on the website now of News United States. Okay. And this is uh, Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera talking about Colin Kaepernick. Here we go. Game day, Philadelphia. Host of the 2018 National Football League season opener. Home to the Eagles, 2018 Super Bowl champs. But this year, fans are talking about what will happen during the national anthem as much as what will happen on the field. I want to in the Air Force, so I don't like the players taking a knee. I think I can respect the anthem. They live in this country, okay, and respect the people that actually fighting for it every day. Fellas that are kneeling for the national anthem. Former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick started a national debate and a movement among players when he bucked tradition and took a knee rather than stand during the ceremonial opening of games in the 2016 season. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. It's a debate this Nike ad campaign, scheduled to air during the game, has only reignited. Kaepernick wanted to call attention to racial injustice in the United States at a time when police misconduct was under fire. But his critics see kneeling as a sign of disrespect for those in law enforcement and the military who put their lives on the line for American ideals. Those critics include President Donald Trump himself. The national anthem debate is as divisive as politics itself in the United States right now, and perhaps nowhere exemplifies those divisions more than Pennsylvania, a traditionally democratic and blue-collar state, but one that voted for Donald Trump and helped propel him to the presidency. It was the president who broke tradition when he uninvited the Philadelphia Eagles to the White House after some members of the championship team said they would stay home in protest, hitting the players against the president. We believe uh, everyone should stand for the national anthem. And putting the NFL in the middle, unable to come up with a policy that satisfies all sides ahead of opening day. It's huge pressure from what Trump's reaction is going to be. This is the kind of thing that's a great rallying cry for his base, and he is going to use it with every ounce that he can to jump on top of this to prove that his, he's right, that his base is right, and his attitude is the right attitude to have in this regard. Angry fans have been burning their Nike products and calling for a boycott, while the president called on the NFL and Nike to stand for the flag on Twitter. That's a worry for the NFL, whose ratings are down and a controversy they've yet to tackle. Kristen Salumi, Al Jazeera, Philadelphia. That's the story on Al Jazeera, and the question is a simple one. It goes beyond football. Uh, when you're in your job, when you're doing your job, do you have freedom of speech? And if you don't, why don't you? Why do you have to forfeit your freedoms to do your work and support yourself? So Nike has taken a bold move. And uh, of course, in this story, they just talked about people who are protesting um, against Nike. But I suspect that there's a huge audience out there, a huge buying public
that will pick up on Nikes and buy Nikes because of their stand, because of their inclusion of Colin Kaepernick. The NFL has not included Kaepernick, even though he had some outstanding statistics. Certainly that he's better than many quarterbacks who are playing in the NFL. Certainly that he's playing when there are many there are many um, quarterbacks in the NFL who are not as good as Kaepernick. NFL players like San Francisco's Richard Sherman have spoken out about that. He said it's not about race, it's not about a flag, it's about shut up and do what you're told. Do you have freedom of speech at your workplace? Within reason, of course. Do you? I hope you do. Race and labor. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. And this is one of them. This is this idea of the NFL. This is a black league, by and large. In your union or workplace, what's a situation where you've observed or experienced racism? That's the first question we ask, we ask people to discuss as part of a race and labor training at the Labor Council. <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out where. Washington State. Some stories are dramatic, like the member of color who was threatened with physical violence after winning union office. Others are more subtle, the kind of incidents that can weigh on you when they're repeated over and over. A black union staffer offer interacts with members by phone or email. When she later meets them in person, she's told, oh, you're not how I pictured you. This is a workshop by a unionist in Washington State. And as far as I'm concerned, this is what unionists need to be doing talking directly to the people they they're supposed to represent after the passage of Janus this kind of work is preciso it's totally necessary how about radio labor they're back from their union holiday and uh Let's listen to the Radio Labor Report. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, September 7th, 2018. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Labor's victory for migrant workers in Qatar. A court in Brazil stops former President Lula from running for re-election from his jail cell. The American labor movement is campaigning for workers in the upcoming national elections. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing, we're going to roll the union on. This is Radio Labor. 
for years. The international labor movement has been fighting to protect the rights of migrant workers in Qatar and now has won a major victory. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. In the Gulf state of Qatar, the government has taken a major step towards improving respect for the rights of migrant workers. Until now, workers brought into the country for construction, domestic service, and other jobs have not been able to leave the employer who initially hired them. This stipulation was part of the so-called kafala system, which bound workers to their employers. The new law lets workers return to their home countries without receiving permission from their Qatari employer. The change in the country's legislation comes after many years of lobbying and campaigning by international labor organizations. One of those organizations is the International Trade Union Confederation, which represents national labor centers at the world level. ITUC General Secretary Sharon Burrow told the media that the new law marks a huge step to end the kafala system for migrant workers in Qatar. An estimated 1.5 million workers, she said, will now be able to leave Qatar without their employer's permission. One of the reasons Qatar has so many migrant workers is because it is building the infrastructure for the 2022 World Cup of football. Monitoring the treatment of the workers who are constructing the needed stadiums and hotels is the Building and Woodworkers Global Union, BWI. In a recent interview, BWI's Migration, Gender and Campaign Director, Jin Suk Lee, talked about Qatar and the facilities needed to host the world football competition. While fans and most of us are enjoying the sport, behind that are workers, construction workers, who are building the stadiums, the infrastructure projects and the hotels. And many people don't realize the working conditions of these construction workers. We've been engaged in a global sports campaign since 2010, focusing on improving the situation of construction workers in linked to the mega sporting events, specifically the World Cup. We had a tremendous success in, in South Africa, the same in Russia. Now we're aiming to increase our campaign in Qatar as it will host the 2022 World Cup. The uniqueness about Qatar is that 99% of the workforce are migrant workers, mainly from Asia, but we see increasing number from Africa as well as Eastern Europe. So the focus of our campaign is also improving the rights of migrant workers. Um, many workers work in very difficult conditions, but because of the work that we have been able to do with a number of stakeholders, the, the situation of workers, particularly in the stadiums, have improved. And this has a lot to do with the agreement that we signed with the Supreme Committee in Libyan Legacy, where we are conducting joint inspections. The, through the joint inspections, we have access to talk to workers about their working conditions, as well as their concerns. And we've been able to work in a cooperative manner, in a transparent way with the Supreme Committee to improve the situation. This is what we would like to see happen in the entire country because the uh, construction projects for the stadium is only less than 3% of the projects in the entire industry. But at the same time, we see also an opportunity because there's, there's a ILO technical cooperation agreement that has been signed with the Qatari government and now there's an ILO project office. So we hope to work with the ILO project office to improving the situation, not only in the stadiums, but the entire industry. And it is our... Okay, that's Radio Labor, their report on Qatar, where workers are now allowed to leave the country without getting permission from an employer. 
Every little victory helps, but can you imagine not being able to leave the country without your boss's permission? Talk about dominance. Well, I was going to run um, Yo Soy Joaquin, but I'm going to save that for next week. Next week will be very close to Independence Day in Mexico. And uh, we'll have a whole show about El Chicanismo, Latinx, culture and history. I want to discuss an article that came out in uh, a Nation magazine, Harper's magazine, about unions. And it said... uh, the the um, title of the article was Last Stand for the Unions. The author uh, didn't think of that title. It's probably not a fitting one. Last Stand for the Unions. And these are just some notes that I took. Profits for the few are achieved at the cost of austerity for the many. The crowning irony of the red-baiting of communist-led unions and accompanying charges of dictatorship is that they were some of the least corrupt and most democratic unions of their time. There is no documented case of any red union acting to undermine the national security of the United States. Unions, not the Soviet Union, were the primary target. This was a time when People equated, people with an agenda equated unionism, as they do now, with some kind of socialist plot. Of course, associations of employers and of the rich and the hand-in-glove cooperation of the United States government with corporate interests And at the time, a great many capitalists had collaborated with Nazi Germany. The Bush family is well aware of that. Those were the enemies. Those were the collaborators, not the unions. In the broadest sense, all labor unions are leftists in their implicit acknowledgement of two basic principles— that capital exploits labor and that labor's only hope lies in collective action informed by class consciousness. Capital doesn't just exploit labor, it defines labor. It uses the law to recreate labor in its own image. When the Taft-Hartley Act stipulates that unions can bargain only over terms and conditions of employment and not, say, over the uses of technology or the control of pollution, it is saying that workers are motivated by the same aims that motivate capitalists. So, yeah, this, this really ties the hands of, of the people who follow it. Okay? Labor has the right, needs to have the right to discuss all these things, okay? Um, Work and unions and organizing, our health as a nation, isn't just 
limited to the workplace. So people need to have that right to take up those issues as workers. When workers go on strike, all they're doing is withholding cooperation in their own exploitation, right? You go to a job, you're asking that person to exploit you. Please exploit me and pay me some of the money, not all of it. Okay, well, we'll get on to more of this next week. Um, hi, Solina. I want to play Willie Dixon now and go out with Willie Dixon. Oh, the program. It requires a lot of different facts of life that we must know about. And when you think about the various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, the various nationalities, the various people all over the world, we have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do. Lady, lady in love, labor and love radio cautions you never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Bye, everybody. Bye, Sylvia and all the people, all my housemates. Thanks to Vita and Yemen for coming in today and informing us. See you next week. Have a good week and good work. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Summertime, and we're ready to groove in the mission for the 6th Annual Noise Pop Block Party. It's free, Saturday, August 18th from noon to 6 p.m. with bands Empress Of, Jeff Rosenstock, The Marias, The She's, Small Crush, The Total Bettys, and more. Come to Mutiny Radio for special programming all afternoon, including live comics, karaoke on the radio for donations, and interviews with main stage bands. Bring your family, friends, neighbors, and dogs on August 
August 18th to benefit Mission Language and Vocational School and celebrate the peak of sunshine. For more info, check out the Noise Pop Block Party website at www.20thstreetblockparty.com. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up a excellent mix of jazz latin gospel hip-hop and traditional folk ballads great stuff check it out labor and love is every saturday 10 a.m to 12 p.m serve somebody out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics deep in the mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for <laughs> is in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage in the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) Hey, guys. How's it going? Pretty 
great, I'm sure. Um, we have a little announcement for you. A PSA of sorts. Yes. Uh, listen to Cowards every 10 a.m. to 11 on Mutiny Radio. On Fridays. Yay. For some sweet, scared storytelling. Please do it. We need you. <laughs> so badly. Yes. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and all the kissing is kissing. Plastic, vinyl, records, round, played, mixed. All for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scotto Walker. Amazing artist, music DJ, vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David. St- Flap like plastic, ladies and gentlemen. MutinyRadio.fm